0: Hello, and welcome back to the show today, Bim. Things have seemed to have calmed down since we last spoke. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has finalised his government. We've seen the release of the all-important budget, but there has been a lot of negative reception to the country entering another period of austerity. Why are we taking this economic action during a recession when some warn that this will exacerbate problems?
1: Well, the reason why we're doing it is because when you've got a huge amount of debt incurred, about 400 billion quid was spent during COVID, right? Now, when you've got that level of debt, if you don't restrain it, you end up in a position that is incredibly bad, which is you're spending more on paying back your debt than you're spending on public services, than you're spending on... So, you know, I think the fourth biggest item on the British government. Books now is debt interest, paying back debt interest. That would be a lot worse if the markets were increasing the cost of our debt, right? So, what we have to do is give the markets confidence that we've got a plan to overall bring the debt down. At the same time, because of the huge inflation you're seeing all over the world, what you pay on your debt goes up a lot. So, you know, we've gone from a world of like one to 2% inflation to a world of nine to 10% inflation. So the amount that you're paying back on the same debt for quite a big part of it has gone up five fold. Does that make sense? So when you're in that sort of situation, that's why I have to take the action that we're taking. Once we've done this and we get through to the budget next year, which would be sort of April, give or take a month or two, then I think that we'd have stabilized the situation. But at the moment we just had to do, we had to do this, uh, this tough budget.
0: Just kind of delving into the detail then, because, you know, there's there's different schools of economic thought. You know, we've seen traditionally in this country before Thatcher was Keynesianism. She brought in ideas of, of Hayek and, and tackling inflation uh, and not worrying about employment. I mean, where, where does this ideology kind of um, rank in terms of... Uh, economic thinkers in history? I mean, w- what would this be most comparable to? And, and why haven't other ideas such as Keynesianism been uh, redeployed?
1: Well, I, I just don't think that's a correct characterization. In 1976, under a Labour government, before Margaret Thatcher, under a Labour government, Dennis Healey, who was then Chancellor, did a very tough budget uh, in not dissimilar style to what we've just done though i don't want to overdo the comparison but at the time people said gosh how can a labor chancellor be be cutting spending and, and 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 getting the fiscal position under control he did that and he was a highly intelligent and capable man he did that not because he wanted to not because of ideology because he had to because he understood the reality so it's not really a question of ideology it's a question of reality versus unreality now of course it's an ideological question Whether you, I don't know, prioritise spending money in one way rather than another, or whether you want to focus more on, I don't know, investing in health rather than education or whatever. These are all, or whether you want more tax cuts, whether you bring down the size of the state, or these are all ideological questions that we can debate. But um, reality is that when we're in the position that we're in, and look, I wouldn't have started from here, then... You just have to take the right action for the country so that things don't go completely out of control with the pound, with exchange rates, and indeed on the interest rates on your debt and on the interest rates that people pay on their mortgages.
0: Um In terms of it as well, I just want to uh, discuss this black hole. Um, is it correct to describe it as the economic rule made by the Conservative Party? It's not actually, you know, yeah, an economic theory it's not a limit um we have seen jeremy hunt's kind of compare this to a credit card which i don't think is a fair comparison because there is no limit on the spending and so the, the question is at a time of crisis um would it not be better to at least keep things the same and then maybe make those reductions like you said in a year or two's time when the situation is clearer
1: well i think but what. What you've got to understand is how every single budget is always done. It is always done on the basis of a forecast. Yeah, a forecast about what money you think you're going to have, the amount of money that the country is going to um, generate for individuals. Obviously, the tax rate you put in affects that, but you still don't know what's necessarily going to happen over the last, over the next year or indeed the f- future years. So. The office of budget responsibility puts together a forecast the government looks at that forecast and says okay over the next year we are going to have this amount of spending or that amount of money or the taxes need to be this amount of course what you can do is you can say well if the spending and 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 revenue is out of balance we can just leave that for longer of course that's a legitimate political question so you say the black hole yeah of course you can say look We're not going to tackle that. We're going to leave that for a longer period of time. And we'll try and tackle it next year or the year after. The problem with doing that is the gap between your revenue and your spending grows and grows and grows. And so at some point, you're going to have to deal with that. If you choose to just borrow more and say, right, what I'll do is borrow more to fill the gap today. You can do that. But once you do that, what happens to your to inflation? It goes up. What happens to the interest rate? People pay on their mortgages, they go up. What happens to the interest rate that you pay on your debt? They go It goes up. So you end up in a position that is worse and worse and worse over time. So at some point, you just have to try and bring things into balance. We're not doing it too quickly. We're doing it over five years. We're not trying to do it all in a year. We're actually still going to have a gap next year and the year after and the year after that. So what we're trying to do is to bring it into balance slowly over a five-year period. And by doing that, I think that's a proportionate way of doing it.
0: What will this uh, budget say to businesses, though? Because we've we've discussed this before, you and I, Bim, but also it has been a discussion that Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss have said themselves that businesses or that the economy as a whole is not growing enough, is not investing enough in its future. And businesses usually invest... You know, for lots of reasons, good transport skills, taxation, but also there needs to be a demand of products. And what we're seeing now is the largest reduction in household income on record and for the first time in history, back-to-back reductions. So surely businesses will be worried about the longer term of the economy in terms of its current format because of demand from the populace. Look, it's a tough
1: one for businesses because, and I met with some businesses Uh, In Hitchin um, the other day, and I brought them for a meeting with cabinet colleagues here to talk about energy cost costs, and we talked about costs more generally. So I've been speaking to businesses. It's going to be a very tough year. The businesses operate in an environment that is dynamic, that changes, that nobody controls. And what we've tried to do for small businesses is we've given them more relief on business rates. What we've tried to do also is to give them some certainty about the position so that they can plan. And critically on energy bills, we are going to come up with a new scheme after April that will help give them relief on expensive energy bills. That's really how we're gonna deal with this from a business perspective and and continuing to make the long-term investments in infrastructure and skills that we need as a country. So that's what we're trying to do, but I accept it's a really tough one at the moment.
0: Let's turn our attention to the healthcare situation The Financial Times has investigated and found that in the last year, one in six adults have had a pressing need for medical examination or treatment and have not been able to get it. This is the highest figure out of all 36 European countries and almost tripled the EU average. How is the budget or how is the government going to address the growing problems in healthcare?
1: Well, look, what COVID did was it transformed system from one where you had short waits to long waits from one where you had doctors and nurses that were compar- they were still very busy but they were comparatively well rested to now being have had two years of just running non-stop um that is you know a big problem and we obviously need more doctors and nurses but actually I was looking at some statistics that um the other day that was that was showing that we have continued, the ratio between the British members of the public and the numbers of doctors and nurses has continued to go down over the last 10 years. There is a problem with GPs and access to to GPs, but I'm afraid the GPs have to take some responsibility for this because of the way how they dealt with a lot of people, particularly during COVID, where they refused to see people, they um, were difficult. And when you do that, then you build up problems other places in the system. So a lot of people have been going to A&E, which is overwhelming A and E. Do you see? So the whole and actually the number of GPs per head has been going down as well. Um the ratio rather has been going down. The number of GPs or doctors and nurses has been going up, if that makes sense. So it is a really complicated problem. I don't pretend to have all the solutions. What I do know is that it is a huge focus for this government and indeed for governments of every other country. I was speaking to um an American uh, senator um, who I know who was explaining how in his state there were they were talking about all the same things in relation to access to healthcare, doctors and nurses being overwhelmed you know exactly the same problems which um, I'm not saying was was a good thing of course it's not it's a terrible thing but this isn't a uniquely British problem after Covid.
0: Uh, we'll move it on to the next question then um, and there is some impending anxiety worry over the retained EU law bill, uh, which was put, uh, which has put the country under threat from unpredictably. In uh, unpredictability in laws. Tens of thousands of laws that were retained as part of the deal of Britain exiting Europe um, are now going to be reviewed, removed, changed, unless the relevant member of cabinet vetoes or passes it. Experts have described that the 2023 deadline has now introduced a, quote, untenable level of uncertainty into the UK legal system. Civil servants have calculated that this review of laws will take years. Uh, Rishi Sunak seems to have called his interest in this legislation, though. So will this be overturned? Will there be tweaks to this?
1: I'm sure there will be tweaks at some point because all legislation requires tweaks. That's why we have MPs. That's why we have Parliament. But the fundamental point here, right, is really, really straightforward. I don't know why this is hard. Leaving the EU means you have to make decisions about all the EU law that we brought into the British legal system. That does not mean changing everything. It just means having the ability to do so. So the Prime Minister's got to strike the right balance considering where our officials are needed, you know, at any given point. And, of course, the review will take time. But I'm afraid a lot of civil servants say, oh, this is terrible, take years. Well, this is their job to affect the will of Parliament. And, you know, we're just going to have to do it.
0: Well, just reading the legislation, I may have it wrong, Bim, you, you can correct me on this, but there is a 2023 deadline um, which can be moved to, is it 2027? And so it's the fact that uh, even in the legal sector there are anxieties over the fact that it's so soon for tens of thousands of laws. It's, it's not even select few. And recently they found in the um, uh, kind of analyzing this, that there was actually even more laws than originally when the uh, legislation was passed through uh, by the Liz Trust government. I mean, do you think that setting a hard deadline of 2023 is responsible?
1: In my experience, unless you set hard deadlines for civil servants, they will find ways of kicking the can. Just gonna have to set a deadline and run for it as hard as we can.
0: Okay, Um, so let's turn our attention then to local issues this month, we've seen the new Hertfordshire local plan passed by the district council. How will this affect Harpenden and Hitchin constituents, Bim? Um,
1: it will mean that now this is in North Hertfordshire, so Kempton and further north. Uh, so it doesn't affect St Albans district, uh, but it will effectively mean that we get a lot of certainty. We get a lot more green belt in the constituency than we had before uh which is a good thing it also means there will be new homes built on the edge of Hitchin. there'll be new homes built on sort of the Hertfordshire bit next to luton uh which what which wasn't my favorite part of the local plan at all uh but i didn't have any control over it it was what the council had put together and have now agreed and um, but overall um it does give us a lot more green belt that's the big thing for those who are concerned about the environment at the same time as building houses which we need to
0: do and so with your capacity you know with these building plans quite often there's a worry within communities that the beauty of the local area is going to be spoiled but as you said there more green areas are encompassed in that do you think that at least on some level the district council have got that balance right and you're positive that the area is not going to be spoiled no the area is not
1: going to be not going to be unduly spoiled. Uh, but I accept that that's in the eye of the beholder and it depends where you live. You know, if you live in one little bit that you feel, particularly in the edge of Luton, that that is now going to change quite a lot, it's no comfort to you that, I don't know, something going on in Kimpton is protected, right? I mean, you don't live there. So uh, I don't want to say to people, oh, overall, it's best, it's good, so you should just suck it up. No, it's not like that. And people feel very strongly about these things. But what I'd say to them is, we need to build houses somewhere. Uh, as a country, we're gonna have to decide whether we want to be a serious country that can build things and do things, or whether we want to be a country where any opportunity to, to build homes or build infrastructure or build renewable energy is blocked by a small number of very loud voices. That's the choice the country's going
0: to have to make. Turning our attention to actually something that may affect you, Bim, the Boundary Commission has published revised proposals for new parliamentary constituencies, and the Commission is proposing creating two new constituencies in the area, Hitchin seat and a Harpenden and Berkhamsted seat. Um, What would happen to you in this situation, Bim?
1: Uh, Well, the Conservative Party, we are going through our internal process of working out who stands where. Um, so, you know, we will
0: see. Would you have a preferential choice or?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, they're not fully, fully final. I mean, it's probably, it's more likely than not that this will happen, but they're not completely final. And then once the decision is absolutely final and is approved at that point, I have to make the decision in, in, in close consultation with the party about who's standing where because obviously it affects other people as well so there's just an internal party process that that manages that over the coming months
0: okay um so we could be seeing two new seats um and do you think that this will affect the electoral situation as well will there be a swing in votes to one party or another or do you believe that it will continue to be a conservative area
1: i think it will continue to be a conservative area basically
0: Turning um, to one situation that you've actually highlighted this month, you've urged the council to reconsider plans to move bin collections from every 14 days to three weeks, mid-fears over increased fly tipping. Has there been any response to this, BIM? I don't
1: know, but that's more a function of... um, You know, they they may say they've made their decision. I mean, look, three weeks is a long time to wait for your bin to be collected. The council's own consultation showed that just 24% of residents thought they'd be able to manage their waste effectively on a three-week rotor, And these are the people that responded to the consultation, right, which generally are more positive than people who don't. So... I don't think that's acceptable at all. I think you will end up in the urban areas, I think you'll end up with with you know stinking bags and rats and more rubbish onto the street. And in rural areas, I think you'll get more flight tipping. Now, this is saving a very small amount of money for the council, considering at the same time, people's council tax is going up and has gone up, right? So, I just don't think this is justified at all. I think it's a bad decision. Uh, I think it's an instance of being penny rich and pound poor, and the council um, shouldn't do it.
0: Is this uh, another symptom, though, of the times that we're living in? You know, quite often uh, in the area that I'm from, Enfield, the council are pressed on these issues, and they reiterate a message that, unfortunately, because since, um, well, uh, that they, they usually... It's a Labour council, so I have to be fully disclosure here. But they usually blame the Conservative government for cutting funding to councils and say that they've they've never reached the pre-2010 levels. So is this another symptom of maybe austerity backed with the cost of living increase? And councils just have to make these small considerations. Like you said there, um, it's a, a small cost saving. But in the long term, if it's made with lots of others, it could save the council a lot of money.
1: Well, you've got a Labour Council that will say that's all thought for the Conservative government. Yeah. Now, I would say, generally, shock horror. Uh, council funding has gone down since 2010, but at the same time, they've got access to revenue they didn't have in 2010, particularly around business rates. Right. So the figures that they quote are not quite correct. Uh, but, look, it's my personal view is that we should allow councils to raise more money locally and be responsible for that and advocate for those things locally. And that will help reinvigorate local democracy as well, if the council was just spending more money that it was raising, because people would then be able to see if it was making a difference or not. Uh, and I hope that we can find ways um, as a government to do that.
0: I mean, how would this be uh, achieved, Bim?
1: You could achieve it many different ways. Um, you could, in tourist areas, for example, there are proposals to have sort of tourist tax on that, that on, say, hotel rooms. That would mean that people could they can pay for the increased cleanup costs, right? That you have if you're in I don't know seaside resort or whatever. In other in other ways, you might in our area you might have a different level of council tax for certain types in certain types of areas. You might have you know different types of business rates. So there are different things that you could do. Um, that will give councils the ability to just raise more of their own money, which I think is important.
0: Um, One of the positive news stories from the air this month we saw you backing Hitchin and Harperdon Farmers on back British Farming Day. What was some of your favourite local produce that you'd like to highlight?
1: So this is a deeply dangerous question because anybody I don't highlight will then be terribly offended. (laughs) So Let me see if I can remember some. So you've got, I suppose, brew and Wheatamstead who are microbrewers, uh, contribute hugely to villages all across Hertfordshire, reviving pubs, champing real ale and all the rest of it. They're good. Um, Fabio's Gelato in Hitching Town Square, amazing gelato and ice cream, just amazing. Go. Uh, you've got Liam's Butchers in Offley, Luke's Patisserie in, in Offley as well. Um, all sorts of other local produce. They're the ones I can remember right now.
0: Uh, well, let's hope that none of the local producers are offended by that answer, because exactly. <laughs> um, so, before we get to the community questions, we have one more on a local issue, um, and it's Hitchin Train Station. You've been investigating as to improve access. Uh, have you seen any progress around this?
1: I continue to raise this with colleagues. What I'm basically doing is is speaking to the Treasury under the new chancellor to work out how the new leveling up fund will work, uh, which will be in the new year. And that is gonna be the next stage.
0: Interesting. So you'll keep us up to date with that, Bim. I will. The usual methods, and we may discuss it again. Uh, Now we'll move into the community questions. One of the topics that we have actually had a few messages on was, Bim, what is your opinion of Matt Hancock going into the I'm a Celebrity Jungle?
1: I mean, at risk of annoying people, I just don't think people... It's sad how much everybody wants to be outraged all the time. They're desperate for outrage. Oh, it's terrible. He should be with the constituents. You know what? It is um, a fun programme. I've never watched it. People seem to tell me it's fun. Uh, Lots of people watch it. It's his way of getting people getting to know him after he's had a pretty traumatic time in the last year or two. And... You know, if people don't like him, vote for someone else. Uh, you know, it just, I just, I find it very hard to be out.
0: But we'll move on to Anne's question. And she said, Bim, as chair of the All Parliamentary Group on Financial Markets and Services, do you believe that the main reason for Paris overtaking London as Europe's biggest stock market is Brexit? If not, what has caused this?
1: So this, this was a sort of very good example of, of one news story that if somebody has a prior, which is they're obsessed about the fact that we chose to leave the European Union did don't know how many years ago now, um, they then jump on it and send it to all their friends and say, see, I was right, I was right. We should go back in the EU. It's actually a lot more complicated. What this is really about is two things. One is it's about exchange rates. And obviously we had a difficult time with the pound a few weeks ago. Everybody knows that. So it really affects our exchange rate, right? Which is the first point. The second point is that this... Bloomberg article didn't refer to businesses that were dual listed, i.e. they were listed in more than one stock exchange. And it tends to be a lot of the London stock exchange businesses are dual listed. In effect, if you included those ones, which are often the big ones, London is over double the Paris volume. So it was like a quirk of how they chose to calculate it, which was to only calculate businesses that were solely listed in London and solely listed in Paris so companies that are solely listed in paris is practically all of the stock exchange businesses that are solely listed in london is comparatively small number of the stock exchange that's where it comes from
0: carol has moved the discussion on to a local issue she said in our local area of stevenage they are bringing in a solar farm the size of 119 football pitchers would you want to see something similar in our constituency bim um
1: this is very difficult because the problem with solar farms is they're not inherently good or inherently bad. It depends where they are, how big they are, and whether local community wants them. Um, I think that, in my view, we need to be giving people we need to be giving local people financial benefits for when there is a solar farm or a wind turbine near them. And I don't know why the companies refuse to do that. They'd have a, they'd have a much easier time. And what we also need to do is preserve the land for the long term. And that's why we should only ever have solar farms that preserve the quality of the of the land, so you're not completely scarring the land for ages. And so if you put those two things together, then I think we can have a more sensible conversation around it, whereas, you know, company from America turns up, so I want to put some massive solar farm next to your house. That's just, it's rude. <laughs> And and they're they're just not that people aren't going to be in favour of it, right? But we do need energy security. You know, we need energy that's made here locally, access to the grid.
0: We've seen in France that they passed a law about solar panels in terms of car parks to cover them, that there is already built on. I don't know if you're aware of the legislation, BIM, but uh, would you say that that's a fairly sensible idea of kind of using already built on areas and just making it uh an eco-friendly or a way to improve uh, and increase the national grid
1: yes obviously as long as those areas are near a connection point to the grid that works because 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 the problem practically is can you get access to the grid at the right point if if the energy has to be transferred too far to get to the grid well, it, it loses so much of the of the electricity that it's carrying right so what you're really trying to do is make sure that where you are you're near a good point on the grid
0: a local news story that has had really wide uh, repercussions across the nation uh, andrew has asked us about the arrest of journalists by hertfordshire Police whilst they were covering the M25 protest. Uh, why did this happen, Bim? And will you work to make sure something similar will not occur again, Andrew has asked.
1: Um, it was completely inappropriate. An independent review, I am told, concluded that it was the action of two police officers who had not completed their mandatory media training with a journalist. So they're going to be dealt with uh, and, you know, I'm pretty sure this won't happen again, and sometimes things happen that aren't quite right, but we should fix them.
0: So there's no impending worry in your mind about the the freedom of the press or anything like that?
1: No, I don't think it's a bigger problem than than there was a mistake made, and then we're going to try and fix it. But for what it's worth, these people, these, these people are blocking the N25. I mean, what a waste of space they are. These people need to be arrested because they are impeding the public business going about going about their, their lives. It's completely intolerable. And I just wish, you know, we passed the public order bill to stop this sort of thing. Police have got a lot better at removing them, you know, over the last week or two, as we've seen by the fact that they haven't been able to block the M25 and various other motorways. So I think the police have learned pretty really quickly how to get rid of these people. And they need to know that they cannot disturb the workings of a country for their own ideological um, thing uh, and not
0: get punished for it and they should be uh ian has turned his attention to uh, an issue that's troubling him uh, and maybe his son as well he said uh bim you've talked often about young people and small businesses your messaging has been great and i really respect you as an mp but in the spectator this month it said you're taking from the young to pay for the old i have a son And a small business and i feel the future is bleak for both i agree with the analysis can you give me a convincing answer as to why i should continue to support the conservatives
1: um i don't know if i can give you a convincing answer i happen to think that we do need to completely change our approach distributionally to how we put more money in education and on skills and on housing and less money proportionally into sort of um, an unreformed healthcare system, for example. So, you know, yeah, I, I can't, I'm not gonna convince you. What I'm gonna do is I'm working with colleagues, both internally and in public to, to try and change this. Cause I think it couldn't, it just couldn't be more important. Um, we are funding schools more in this last budget uh we are doing more for small businesses though not as much as i'd like we're going ahead with things that transitional relief scheme set up to help around 700,000 small businesses with paying their business rate you know so we are doing a few things but yeah we need to do a hell of a lot more and it's probably the one thing in politics that i think is is going wrong is just younger people not getting enough of a shout uh and i want to help i want to help them do that
0: Michelle and Colin have, have turned it on to festivities, um, something positive to to uh, end on. Uh, so Michelle has started off with saying, what events are you looking forward to most uh, to attend during the upcoming festive period?
1: What have we got? I mean, I think we've got the um, Ickleford Christmas Fair soon and the Sandwich Christmas, Christmas Market and the Redbourne Christmas Market, which is always great, and I tend to go to the Redbourne one most years. Uh, the Kims Christmas Market. Um, I think it's St. Tipolich, just outside Hitchin, there's a nativity crib festival, which I might avoid just because I don't know if I can bear any more nativity plays. Uh, but then there's the Wheat, Wheat Hampstead switch-on of the lights, which I think is probably this week or next week, and the Christmas Market. So, no, all of these things I try and get around.
0: And a positive in terms of your family situation, uh, will you enjoy the fact that you've you get more time to spend with your sons because obviously you work very very hard bim uh on on all the things that you do uh will you have at least some ability to to kind of relax with them or or is relax the wrong word do they keep you on your toes
1: really no they're all they're quite good boys actually uh i don't really do relaxing i have to be busy so i will be busy doing lots of things writing and reading and all sorts of things so um, so, yeah, I will be busy, but not necessarily, you know, parliamentary busy. I think people have had enough with politics for the time being, I think.
0: Will you be uh, watching the World Cup as well, potentially? Oh, of
1: course. I mean, I just spend, I'm very excited about the World Cup. I've enjoyed watching it so far. Um, I continue to watch it. Very excited for the England match Friday. Uh, you know, its it it's been a really good tournament so far
0: and do you believe football's coming home this time
1: no 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 we shouldn't start talking about that till we, til we see the map for the quarters then you can't really judge it because it really depends which teams are in form where we are in that map it's just at the moment it's pointless you've really got to see who's playing well and who's going to play who you know you could tell when it was in the Europeans a couple of years ago that England had a good chance once you got to the quarter you could see that we had a good chance to get to the final
0: mm-hmm.
1: again You've just got to see what the map looks
0: like at that stage. And would that be the best Christmas present ever if England did lift the World Cup?
1: Of course.
0: (laughs) So the final question from Colin, uh, maybe he's looking for something to add to his Christmas list. He said, with Christmas coming up, are there any books you can recommend for the festive period? Oh,
1: I mean, I'm always... What would I go with? Um, I would probably go with there's a book called um, Devil Land, which goes from the death of Elizabeth I right through till Charles First coming, uh, sorry, right through till Charles II and the restoration of the monarchy that just talks about how England was at that time. Uh, gone through huge political turmoil, much more than that if anybody thinks now is political turmoil, try the late 16th century and the mid 17th century um, and a lot more death then as well uh, that I have just got and I I got it on the basis of being told it was a really fantastic read and that is something that I am uh, that I'm going to read but something I'm not going to read is Prince Harry's book which will be coming out very soon couldn't think of anything more ghastly so there we are
0: there you are there's uh bim's christmas uh reading list for uh, everybody there and this will probably be the last time we chat before christmas so i wish you uh, a happy and healthy
1: happy new- christmas
0: and uh we will chat again in the new year but for now uh, i hope you and your family have a wonderful time Bim. you too
1: thank you bye-bye